I'm Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. This is a podcast for women who wonder how strength and weakness coexist, or how to bless both bravery and tenderness. For those longing to bring the fullness of their glory to the world without a chip on their shoulder. For those who have embraced a global sisterhood and left small storied lives behind, this is for you. The fierce and lovely women seeking the both and of a big storied life. Join me as I chat with fierce and lovely women around the world. In this episode, I talk with Ashley Hales, a writer, speaker, pastor's wife, and mother to four. She holds a PhD in English from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland, and she lives in the Southern California suburbs, helping her husband plant a church. Her first book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, releases this month, and it is so good, you guys. You can pre-order now, but how about winning a free copy? Ivy Press is going to send a copy to the lucky winner, and here's how you can win. Head over to my Instagram page at Beth H. Bruno and leave a comment on this podcast post. Tag up to three friends who you think might like Ashley's book, and I'll randomly pick a winner by the end of the week. All right, here we go. Here's my conversation with Ashley about what it's like to find holy in the suburban spaces we find ourselves in. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Beth. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you today and learn a little bit more about your book, which is releasing this month, and just hear more of your heart of kind of the world that you find yourself in, in the suburbs of Southern California. But before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am in my late 30s. I, I, In many ways, I look like your average suburban mom, except I have four kids, which is a little bit uh, over the average. Um, but also, um, I, so in one way, I look pretty normal. My my days are spent walking my kids to school, volunteering in their class. But then um, I'm also the wife to a church planter here. We moved back to the suburbs to begin a church. Um, so that shapes our, our lives and our time and our schedules. Um, and then I also have a PhD that sits unused, uh, at least not directly. <laughs> um, and I am a writer in those few hours of quiet I have before kids wake up or while my youngest is in um, pre-K, I do a little bit of writing and speaking. So it's kind of a juggling act, but I find it's a way to both be really dug into my place and my people, but also um, allow me to see God's use for me in wider spheres. Mm-hmm. I, that's beautiful. Um Ashley, tell us a little bit more details. Like, how old are your kids? Yeah. So we have four kids. They are four years old to 11. Three boys are all my oldest, and my youngest is a little girl. Um, We spend a lot of time 
out walking them around our neighborhood because that's just our way to connect as a family, um, as well as get crazy energy out. (laughs) We spend a lot of time on the soccer fields and, you know, doing all the activities, but um, really trying to stay present for our people and to be good neighbors too. Mm -hmm. So four to 11, yeah, that keeps you incredibly busy. So the PhD, I assume, happened before Yes, it kids. started It started before kids, like back in our early 20s. My husband and I had been married a year and we're like, hey, let's move to Scotland because we could both be in grad school at the same time. So he completed his seminary degree. I started my PhD in English literature and then we both moved back for jobs. And then the kids kind of ended up coming pretty quickly and not that far apart. <laughs> so it ended up taking me about nine years to finish. It was, I think... I'm trying to remember. It's a little bit fuzzy. I think my third baby was born. I actually moved home with my parents for a month and my mom watched my kids so I could finish my dissertation. So it was a family affair. (laughs) (laughs) But well done. You finished. Right. I realized, you know, I've spent like a third of my life on this. I just need to be done. Exactly. Well, it's obvious in your book that you were some sort of English lit major because you were referencing authors I had never heard of. <laughs> I know. No, I love you. You're obviously <laughs> well-read, very scholarly in that way. Oh, thanks. Um, so you are now church planting. And mm-hmm. um, what does that look like? Has that been kind of the journey since your husband graduated seminary that you've been to Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been in pastoral ministry all the way since then. So he's worked at various churches. Um, and then he worked in college ministry for six years at the university of Utah. So we lived there. That's the longest place we've lived. And then we kind of went back to this idea of church planting. But so this is our first church plant. I hope only church plant (laughs) Um, here in in the Southern California suburbs. So we've been here for three years. Um, It's been a journey. I think we thought moving home to the suburbs would in some ways be really easy because we knew the culture. So we didn't have to kind of adjust to what it looked like. We even knew where grocery stores were. Um, But I think just being wherever you are, whether it's the suburbs Um, If you seek to live intentionally for God and his kingdom, like you're going to stick out and it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be hard and heartbreaking, but also really beautiful. Hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, how have you felt like you all stick out in that Mm. regard? Mm. I think, well, I mean, every time I, I just went to a little mom's meetup the other day. And yeah, it's like we moved here because we're starting a church. And so it kind of, it forces the conversation really quick into big things that matter instead of just how cute your new workout leggings are and, you know, where'd you get them on sale? Um, So it very much kind of leads us down a path of putting ourselves out there, what we believe, who we are quite early on in, in relational building and also wanting to be just to be good neighbors and good friends to people. And so to not scare people off and to continue to offer, you know, value to the community, whether or not they end up ever showing up to our church or any other church. Um, So I think that's been the challenge and the line to walk. Um, And then also, I think for us to realize like that everything we do in our relationships, um, you know, with people in our church and without it is really intensely personal. And so I think, 
you know, my husband stands up there to preach every Sunday and we are mentoring people and trying to be good neighbors. And so people come and they go for various reasons. And I, I think we kind of bear that cost of that leadership of being the ones to stay put um, and to continue to be vulnerable with people, even when, you know, we're hurt. So it's, I think it just the lessons and stability, um, the lessons to say, hey, we are going to put all of our eggs in this basket that Jesus is good and that he loves these people um, has been hard because I, you know, honestly, I like the new flashy idea or the next thing or, you know, something that sounds really exciting and world changing. And so just to be like, no. I'm walking my kids to school. I'm going to love the people that God's put in front of my face. I'm going to do these really small acts of faithfulness. And that is what God's called me to. Has been mm-hmm. a really good maturing <laughs> bit for me. Well, especially that you, I mean, you obviously have an adventuresome spirit. You picked up and moved to Scotland to get your graduate mm-hmm. degree, you know, of all mm-hmm. places. And mm-hmm. um, I know that's part of your story is wrestling with where you've settled and mm-hmm. the ordinariness of it. And, mm-hmm. and how ordinary it can feel. And I'm sure, I mean, I know that that's such a lonely place to be in leadership and mm-hmm. committed to staying. That when mm-hmm. You don't get the free pass to pick up and leave when things get hard. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, is, it, which is a grace too. It's a gift too, because we don't ever have to make that choice, you know, about potentially leaving at this point, you know, we are called here. And so we don't have to, we know that we can't, you know, just pick up and leave when relationships are tricky or when things are hard. Um, and so that is a grace too, as much as it it means you kind of have to bear the burden of leadership. It's also a grace that we, we don't have the option to make that choice. <laughs> how, tell us how you ended up planning a church in the suburbs, having yeah, been kind yeah. of a city girl. What, right. What's the yeah. story there? I think, um, you know, we kind of grew up in an evangelical culture of world changing. And so that meant like you would go and you'd work, you know, in kind of more under-resourced areas, urban areas, or like cultural elite amongst urban areas. Um, you know, we had this, I studied abroad in undergrad and then we moved overseas and we traveled a lot. And I think I, I had this self-identity of, I can do big things for God by like how smart I am or where I am. And so God calling us back to the suburbs was kind of a shock. Um, And so it kind of, it began with just several conversations with friends that we knew that were pastors back here in Southern California, seriously, just talking to my husband about every six months and saying, Hey, you know what? You should really plant a church. We need you to plant a church. And he had always kind of been eh, um, like, I'm doing big stuff over here. Uh, And then I think as he kind of got into year five or six of college ministry, he kind of realized he was having the same conversations uh, with students again and again about, you know, the girl breaking up with a guy and you could just kind of feel like it is going to play out the same way. And he had lost a little bit of the empathy because it felt like a broken record. Um, And so he knew either he was going to need like a change of heart where he was or a change of kind of focus, or he was going to need a change of location. And so um, he just kind of started getting a little restless. And so we just began to pray that God would show us where he wanted us. And that eventually through lots of discernment and prayer and other people coming alongside and denominational stuff, um, leading us back to California. 
So you are back where you grew up? Is that yes. kind of that area? Yes. We are literally a few miles from the hospital my husband was born in. Okay. Like, <laughs> the houses that we live in were built like when we were in high school. So it feels very funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> to be in one of those. Right. Yeah. Oh. Um, so now here you are three years in and yes. your book is coming out this month and it's called Finding Holy in the Suburbs. And I like, I, I just want to know more. Tell us about yeah. what led you to write this book. Um, give us a synopsis of it. I'm reading it. It's so good. So oh, we'll talk, fun. we'll get the detail, but give my listeners yeah. a synopsis and yeah. tell us what led you to write it. I think, you know, a part of it was this attitude. Part of it was my personal, my personal journey of, oh gosh, here I am back where I started in the suburbs that are supposed to be, you know, this Hollywood joke about the death of culture. How do I fit in here? Um, And part of that was because I didn't feel like successful enough or beautiful enough to live quite well in the suburbs. Um, And so I was really judgy about well, everyone there, obviously, no one has any problems and they live this really cush life and I'm way more smart and deep than they are. <laughs> and so I think a lot of it was really just my own practice of repentance um, for that attitude and to deeply try to figure out how do I get it into my body, into my mind and my soul that God is good and that all places can reflect both the goodness of God and his creation and culture, and they can also affect the brokenness of sin in the world. And I think I had probably uniquely idealized certain landscapes, um, Mm. like the city, like that thing, you know, better things happen there or, you know, things that are more radical or interesting or important. Um, And just to say, you know what, all of God's creation is good and all of God's creation is broken. And so how can I learn and practice the discipline of loving this place that doesn't necessarily come the most naturally to me? And then also to kind of push back against, I think in this kind of diet of world changing, we also get a lot of stuff on focusing on the city. Um, So much so that I think people who want to live for God's kingdom, be quote unquote missional, all of these sorts of adjectives, we see it only happening in an urban sphere. Um, And I think part of that is great because that's relatively new on the world scene, uh, you know, aside from like, you know, Babylon back in the day. But like, I think we've seen, you know, that that cultures change through people being missional for God in the cities. Um, And we've kind of poo-pooed the suburbs. And so I just really want to see people wherever they live, and especially in the suburbs, actually reckon with their place, how their places actually are shaping their desires, um, and how they can live for God where they are. And to not say that like, if you live in the city, you're somehow a better Christian, or if you live in Africa, you're somehow a better Christian. Um, Or if you're in downtown Los Angeles feeding the hungry, you're a better Christian. Because I believe that God has put us all in our places to love him and to love our neighbor. And so that's going to look different in every place, but it's not to say that the suburbs is somehow less than um, other places and that we can't live full, vibrant, life-giving ways uh, right here in our cul-de-sacs. Mm-hmm. That's so true that, I mean, in the last, I don't know, would you say decade, we've developed this theology of the city pretty mm-hmm. clearly. Um, mm-hmm. It's an entire class I took in grad school mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. But you're right. We have poo-poo the suburbs. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and looked, you know, there is no theology. I feel like actually what you have given us is a theology of the mm. suburbs mm. Thank in a really you. beautiful way. And I wanted to just read something. I forget what chapter it's from, um, but you wrote, the stories our places tell are always moral in mm-hmm. what they value and how they're built. Suburbs, cities, small towns, and rural communities incline our hearts both Godward and selfward. Our mm-hmm. suburban geography informs our loves. Mm-hmm. I that just really struck me um, in terms of giving us this, yeah, this theology of the suburb mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and and place the story mm-hmm. of a place. Mm-hmm. Can you just can you just speak into that a little bit more about how you see the suburban geography informing our loves? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. Some of the stuff I've I've read and researched on suburban master planning has been really fascinating. And one thing particularly is interesting is they talk about, you know, how our streets are laid out and um, the kind of cul-de-sac as the quintessential kind of maybe form of uh, suburban community. As much as we like to kind of be like, oh, everything's turned in on itself and it's, you know, everyone's focused on themselves. And there is that aspect, I think, to, you know, a cul-de-sac and that it, it, it can be myopic um, in the worldview that comes out of that actual geographical space. But it can also mean that neighbors are actually relating to one another. Um, and so, you know, suburbs where you just have long stretches of kind of parallel roads with everything, you know, every house looking exactly like the one next to it. Um, that isn't necessary. That is kind of just this box of individualism. Whereas, you know, some master plan communities like the one I live in, we have um, common alleyways. And so all the kids are congregating on these alleyways. Um, There's a woman across the street from me who goes walking every day as she opens up her garage, we wave, Um, you know, as we're putting our trash cans out, we're talking to one another, we try to do um, kind of block parties occasionally. And as much of that can feel really kind of self-focused to the extent that we're not like moving outward some of our actual geography actually propels interaction in the suburbs in ways that you don't get in larger cities, for instance. Um, so as much as we think the suburbs are kind of this place of selfishness, we can be just as selfish, you know, in kind of in city geography where you are just, you know, getting on the subway and you go to your work and you, you know, come back home on the subway or you go out and have a drink with friends and then you go back to your apartment. Um, I think, there's lots of things about suburban geography that actually fosters community. Um, and the question is for us as Christians, like, what are we doing with that? Are we seeking that out? Are we trying to foster that? Are we trying to deepen community? Are we trying to serve our community? Are we trying to make sure that our communities are diverse, um, that marginalized people actually have a voice and a space and are, you know, can afford it. So there's obviously, a, I could talk forever about all of that, but um, I think, it's easy to dismiss the suburban geography as somehow more selfish <laughs> if we can say that, you know, that geography is moral um, than other places. But I think we have to just reckon with the fact that no matter where we live, you know, our tendency is going to be to be inward focused and we, we have the opportunity based in our geographical, geographical context, um, how to, like live outward fa- facing towards other people. Mm-hmm. Right. That it comes down to how we steward the mm-hmm. place in which we live mm-hmm. and what, mm-hmm. what we do with those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think, I think unfortunately for suburban dwellers, I don't know if it's become more of like, this is just a default that a lot of people live in the suburbs, like 55% of people live in a suburb in America. And so I wonder if it's that we just have not become aware that it is different because it's a majority space. Um, and we just have not kind of put on those eyeglasses to be able to understand what our, how this is actually shaping my values and how this is shaping my loves and affections and how it's shaping my relationship with God and others. Hmm. So beyond geo- just geography, I mean, that you touch on that, you touch on a lot of different aspects of the suburbs and you describe it as the story of the suburb, <laughs> which <laughs> I love because I'm just all about story language and the story our lives tell <laughs> and the story God yeah. tells through us. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another just section I wanted to read really quickly and ask you about. You say, we need to say no to the things that lead us away from the story of God and lead us to follow a story of the suburbs. The suburbs keep us busy because we think the more we move, the more we work, the more valuable we'll be. And in that, I hear the story of the suburbs almost being something uh, that lures us away from the story mm-hmm. of God, like mm-hmm. th- there's a negative element to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to hear more about that. And I want to hear how that also contrasts with the city. Do you see mm-hmm. those stories being really different? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, let's see. I think that the the challenge, right, is um, to realize that all of our places are broken in different ways. Um, and I think the suburban story, at least when we kind of moved from a city to a suburb recently is, you know, we see our children like of the suburbs totally overscheduled. Um, we see them racing around from activity to activity or focusing on their, um, test scores or all of these sorts of things as markers to success as markers to belonging. And it's almost like perhaps because there isn't as much quote unquote diversity in the suburb, at least the suburb that I live in, um, we aren't really given other forms of living a good life other than, you know, we moved, I hear all the time from people, we moved here for our kids because there's great schools and, you know, it allows them to be kind of in this safe environment where they can ride their bikes around still um, all by themselves. And so, but we have the sense then that like we moved here for the kids, but so that is kind of, that is our orbit. That is how we're understanding the good life is to help our kids be more successful than we were. Um, and to give them this opportunity of safety, um, and success. And I think you're going to get something a little bit different. You know, if I think of like a very high powered city, the, the kids are meant to kind of revolve around the lives of their parents and their parents' careers, um, much more than you do here in the suburbs where um, there's dads who take off work so that they can volunteer in, you know, our, our local public school. And you wouldn't necessarily see that um, in some place like New York city. (laughs) Um, So I think there, there are differences, but um, in how kind of that, those stories that different geography tells. um, But I think it's not to say that one is 
better than another, or, um, you know, there is something really beautiful about a father taking off work to be able to participate in the life and education of his child. But there's also something beautiful about a father or a mother saying, Hey, you know, my, I have this job and you know, that we get to participate in the life of this career, um, and our community by me just going to work and being, um, a faithful, member of the workforce. So I I don't think, I think a lot of it is honestly, what story are we telling ourselves about our place? What story are we telling ourselves about how that fits into the kingdom of God um, so that we see our lives as having a meaning that is wider than simply this kind of very surface narrative, whether that city, suburb, rural environment or whatever, um, that just says, Hey, life is all about me. (laughs) And I think we can put that into like a nice suburban package and say, life is about me providing for my children and kind of centering them or in an urban package, life is about me about, you know, being here and successful and having career advancement and being in positions of power and influence or this kind of unfettered freedom of a rural life. I I just think we just have to start paying attention to the ways in which we inadvertently focus all of our work uh, on ourselves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I talk about that as being living a small storied life Mm -hmm. that our, our vision is too, too small, too narrow. Mm -hmm. We're not caught up in this, you know, bigger story that God is Mm -hmm. telling and he might be telling it through the suburbs or through the ordinariness of walking kids to school and volunteering in their classrooms. But it's still, Mm -hmm. if we have eyes to see, the story he's telling, the narrative he's telling through us, then we're not living that kind of small story, myopic exactly. life. Exactly. Right. And it gives hope mm-hmm. to all those small moments as well. Right. It transforms it matters. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, here, and I think you're probably more normal than than you might even feel in terms of all that you're juggling in a day. Because when mm-hmm. would you say that more and more women who are technically staying at home with their kids, able to walk them to school and pick them up Mm -hmm, in the afternoon mm -hmm. and drive around to three soccer practices, Mm -hmm. but are still squeezing in moments of meaning. For you, it's writing and speaking. Um, For other moms, you know, it might be cultivating some sort of small business or Mm -hmm. something artistic or or whatever. Don't you, would you say that that's more and more common among women? Yes, yes. Who yeah, are embracing this idea of like we can still have a big storied life, even if it's tucked away into little margins of our day. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. You know, when we first landed here where we live in northern Colorado, it was our it was the first time we ended up in a neighborhood in a track home where there's like five different layouts in in the whole neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it was repulsive at first. Um mm-hmm. But the only thing affordable, right? And I found myself feeling like a fish out of water. I mean, we had Mm -hmm. been on the mission field, then we had been in grad school in in Seattle. It just felt so wrong to be so comfortable. Yeah. And to to have grass to cut that was green because we watered it every day Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to have stainless steel appliances that looked pretty. Like it, it just was a real struggle. For months. And then I started realizing, just like a frog, slowly boiling a frog, mm-hmm. that my desires were shifting. Mm-hmm. And it was no longer a bother to me. I found myself longing for more. Mm-hmm. And it was really unsettling. Um, 
So I, I went from being pretty judgmental mm-hmm. to being pretty apathetic. Yeah. And I know there's a third way. I know mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. there's a middle ground. And I mm-hmm. feel like you've achieved this, that middle ground in your book with your mm-hmm. tone. And so I'd love Thank to you. hear more about that. Like how how you're able to speak prophetically into the lures and temptations and dangers of the story of the suburbs. Mm-hmm. How do you speak prophetically into that and not become judgy and critical mm-hmm. and self-righteous? Mm. Yeah. You know, that is, thank you, Beth. I feel like that, that was literally most days I wrote would be my prayer um, would be to hit that line. I think Seth Haynes, who's a lovely writer and friend um, endorsed the book and he, he, called it she he said she only cuts where she can bring healing and i was mm. i was bowled over by that because i think that was that was the prayer and i think we can often think of balance as like trying to achieve this stasis between extremes and i think often at least from my experience of balance it's usually flip flopping so it it is that oh gosh i'm feeling totally judgy about everybody and that they you know, have these huge houses and all this space. And yet there's another part of me, you know, flip-flopping to the other extreme that is envious of that because I too want, I want space and I want something that's aesthetically beautiful in my kitchen. Um, And so I think for me, kind of coming to this middle ground, that third way has been a lot of, here is where I am today. God, I repent of that. Would you show me that you are sweeter than, you know, the shiny granite countertop that I hate that I want and yet I do want, or, you know, the fourth bedroom because we have four kids and it would be really nice, God, to have a little bit more space so that we're not kind of all on top of each other. And then just realizing, you know, we sponsor a child with compassion and getting his letters and that we bought him, you know, a, a, a birthday present and he spends it on rice for his family of nine and realizing we have been given so much. And if I am simply turned in on myself and my own comfort and desires, I will become apathetic. I will become judgy and cynical. Um, And so it's just a constant asking of God to bring those things to mind that I would pay attention to my body and to my place and to my soul, and then to repent and be like, okay, I'm either on one way extreme today or I'm on the other extreme um, God, would you, again and again, would you be sweeter than all of these things uh, that we can use to fill up our deep hungers for longing and for belonging and significance? Hmm. That's that's it, isn't it? It's it's the daily, just naming and repenting mm-hmm. and waking up the next day with His mercies, brand new mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, this this podcast is called Fierce and Lovely, and it's because I'm wrestling myself mm. with how to discover that balance of mm. as as a strong woman offering mm-hmm. words to the world that um it, you know could be prophetic or could be mm-hmm. justice correcting, mm-hmm. you know, course correcting. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? in a fierce and lovely way Mm. and not a judgy, self-righteous way. Right. Um, And some people have interpreted that, you know, as it's a personal journey of remaining soft, remaining um, open to Mm. my own hurt and pain and to God's work in my life. Um, 
but everyone has spoken of this this deep um, intimacy with with God and with their own kind of brokenness mm. and messiness. Mm. And it's uh, and that's what I feel like I've just heard from you is mm. thank you the yeah. ability to just take that messiness and and mm-hmm. ugliness mm-hmm. of our of our wants and desires and reframe it and make holy those hungers mm-hmm. like you talk about mm-hmm. you write about. Mm-hmm. Um, and ask God to just take them and make them sacred again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one thing, you know, I I have noticed is the more I can make my place and, you know, my own life embedded in the particular, in the kind of very small moments, um, the more I grow in compassion and empathy for people, um, which then makes me able to say those, you know, potentially cutting things in ways that give life instead of steal it because I don't need like I don't need that person or that reader to feel bad about themselves like I want them to be caught like you're saying not into this small storied life but into a bigger story that has a place for all of those longings and desires so I think you know for me I've done a lot of walking I walk a lot just I walk my neighborhood streets as much as I can um you know, I have prayed at kind of the top of my neighborhood with hands outstretched that God would wake me and wake these people up from our kind of spiritual slumber um, because I know I'm just like them as much as I like to pretend that, you know, I've got it figured out or my experience is different. I know it's not. And so I think it's it's making as much as I can make it particular to actual interaction with real people and the, so that they don't become like this broad breaststroke of what it means to be suburban, a suburban woman has been mm-hmm. really helpful as just a discipline. Like I'm going to walk and I'm going to actually meet real people and talk to real people instead of trying to overanalyze everything, which is my tendency. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're scholarly like that. <laughs> right. I might as well uh, try to figure out how to make it all fit together. Oh, Ashley, it's you're lovely and your book is lovely. Thank and you. I will be sharing all the links um in the show notes and as well as ways that people can win a free copy. But it releases Yay. at the end of October and we're so excited for it to get into the hands of fifty-five percent, right, of the nation yes. that live in suburban spaces. So this is for And even you. more. I think it has a word to say too, if you're not suburban. So, um, but I think, you know, I, I just think it's so important for us to figure out, you know, how do our places shape our loves and to be aware of that so that we can then begin to live faithfully right where we're placed. Mm, That's a great summary, Ashley. Thank you so much. Thanks for writing that message for us. And thanks for coming on the show today. You're welcome. It's been lots of fun. Listeners, one of the phrases that Ashley used has stuck with me, a diet of world changing. I know that diet well. I was on it for years. But I wonder if some of you hear us talk about big storied living and assume we kind of meant the same thing. I want to make sure that this is not misunderstood. For instance, when I said that many moms are making meaning in the margins, I did not mean to say that raising kids or volunteering in their classrooms is not also making meaning. When we talk about a big storied life, we're referring to a posture, a perspective that allows you to see God at work in the ordinary. It's a vision that we have of a bigger narrative unfolding in the bits of our days. 
It's an idea I'm still processing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find me on Instagram at Beth H. Bruno. And while you're there, don't forget to comment and tag friends to win a copy of Ashley's book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. And if you like what you're hearing, would you mind leaving a review of this podcast in iTunes? Thanks again for listening. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.